Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 299, Stop That or You'll Go Blind, recorded August 20th, the day before the great event, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, joining me, uh, joining the, the, and joining me, uh, I do, I do this every week. Why can't I remember how this goes? These guys over here, that's Miles and that's Seth. Hey, bye, guys. <laughs> hey, Mark, and welcome to the Faithful Lights joining us. Glad you oh. can make it. Hello. It, the light's still on. It's not dark yet. <laughs> my brain is baking at this point, and I'm just going to apologize in advance for all my ineptness. Uh, it doesn't explain all the inept- ineptness of every other show, but today we have reached the part of the summer where my air conditioning in my house simply cannot keep up with the heat um kicking down upon us uh in this attic turned studio room so uh i am let's see it's now up to 82 degrees guys and and climbing uh you know that's that's not sweltering but in a an enclosed room with no air movement because i had to turn the fan off because i love you the listener and i didn't want you to hear that <sighs> 82 82 is yes. luxury <laughs> yeah outside it's only like 95 which you know again for a texas guy is is not that hot but in this particular room it's like being locked in an indoor in a a car out in a parking lot when it's 95 it's pretty hot uh yep there it is so i just it's 98 here today well you know can you believe that you're not even over 100 that's a that's a a cool spell yeah i gotta put my sweater on (laughs) you know we all know those guys that uh when it's hits 50 degrees for the first time uh in the winter has their parka on and they're freezing and going oh old man winter is blowing hard and then like three months later in march when it's up to 50 degrees for the first time they're in their tank top and their uh, their shorts outside going what a beautiful day what is it about us that makes us do stupid stuff like that humans are just dumb no argument there (laughs) All right, before we get too far on, uh, rest in peace, Mr. Jerry Lewis, today, just a few hours before the recording of this show, the great one, uh, left, shuffled off this mortal coil at the age of 91. Uh, that was indeed a life well lived in so many ways, made many people laugh, made two generations of people not know what the heck he was talking about, but that one generation really loved him. So, uh, <laughs> uh and the French, yes, don't the forget French. the French. Uh, as, a, as a kid, my uh, grandparents loved Jerry Lewis comedies, and so I have seen all of them many times. And, and I'll admit to never having been uh, a particular fan of his style of uh, obvious sort of slapstick comedy. I recognize that uh, it appealed to a wide range of people for a very long period of time. And then later in his life, he became you know the, the muscular dystrophy spokesman and really tried to make the most of the position he had gained. And uh, I respect him for that. He tried to make a difference in the world. I like the guy. When I was a kid, I used to watch him a lot. And then one day I discovered Monty Python. And then all of a sudden I couldn't go back. Monty Python's awesome. I I have the box set on DVD of the Flying Circus. My favorite DVD purchase ever. Lightweight. I have it on VHS. (laughs) I couldn't afford it until it was out on DVD. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, so a friend of mine just this week uh, was like, hey, I got that new retro Atari 2600 with all the games. It's got 100 plus games on it. You want to come over and, and play it? And his wife laughed at me. He was like, what, why would you want to play those ancient games? I said, you don't understand. We're finally old enough to afford the game system we wanted when we were 12. It's, it's not about actually enjoying the old 8-bit games. It's about sticking it to the younger versions of ourselves saying, ha, I finally have this and you didn't. <laughs> I could have bought this for you. It's like I could have bought you a PS4, but I bought me an Atari 2600. <laughs> That's so right. <laughs> uh, I miss the Atari. That was, you know, you've never you've never played Pac-Man until you've played it in four bits where the sound effects went ank, ank, ank every time you ate a dot. That was the true Pac-Man. You know, I found myself yelling at the TV the other day. I was watching one of those episodes of American Pickers, and these guys must have gone into some place i don't know the back of nowhere some guy's old old garage or old shed or something and he had a upright version of the original pong you know from the original atari pong and they were like negotiating on the price and i'm yelling at him going just buy it it just buy it that thing's priceless buy it anyway i think they did yeah, let's try to get a bundle going. Maybe we can get that and this rusty old tire iron for $43. What do you think? I'm a big fan of bundling. Oh, man. Remember the one where he bought the rat nip stuff or fly nip or whatever? He, every time he would like, I'll do this. Okay, I'll give you $42 for that and one of those rat nips. Okay, I'll give you $27 for that and one of those rat nips. And by the end of the show, he had bought up all the rat nips by didn't even know what they were, but he just thought it would be cool to buy. All right. <laughs> American decadence. When we pay money to watch guys go through other people's junk and haggle over it, you, you know the end times are near. Well, not everybody, but so many people have or know someone who's like, oh, man, I wish they could come here and I could find out that all this crap I've been too lazy to throw away is actually my retirement savings. So, you know, it's a person's dream. It wasn't, it, what was it, uh, Amazing Stories, sort of the spiritual successor to Twilight Zones? Uh, there was one of those episodes, and it was that redheaded guy that you look him and you go, oh, yeah, that guy, we all we know him, was in that episode. Um, and he uh, it, that was the whole storyline. A troll told him never throw anything away. And he was a bum. He got his mom threw him out of his house. He couldn't keep a, a a a landlord. Couldn't keep rent because he had so much crap. And he was a bum on the streets, pushing um, a cart full of stuff because the troll told him never throw anything away. And this guy walked up to him and said, "Hey, that baseball card's worth ten million dollars. Can I have it, or, or can I buy it from you?" And and that was the payoff of forty years of suffering. Hmm. We don't respect trolls enough. <laughs> I don't know. Is that that's sort of a backhanded gift, right? You're going to waste a quarter of your life so that you can enjoy the other three quarters. Is that is that worth it? Maybe uh, if he had been working a regular nine to five job during that time, would he have ten million dollars? Uh, that's a good point. So that question you know, must go through the that must go through the minds of every inmate in federal prison. Uh, I think. Yes. <laughs> All right, um, and another sign of the end times, other than uh, Frank and and Jim Frank and. John, what are the pickers' names? Anyway, uh, is the fact that a solar event is happening tomorrow, therefore it must be the end times. The Mayans predicted this. They were just a little off. It wasn't 2012. It was 2017. Oh, my God, we're all going to die. Two planets or three planets are going to align with one another in such a way that bad things will happen, apparently. 
Um, this this continuing saga, you heard me rant last week about the way my school system is handling the eclipse. I just made the decision, you know, right right here on the show last week, I'm pulling my kids out, not happening. Well, in that time, there have been about six official statements from the school. Finally, the last one just today, like of uh, 7 p.m. Um, Eastern time, we get a phone call from my kid's elementary school and said, um, tomorrow's an unex- an excused absence for everybody. Just keep your kids at home. <laughs> that was this. That was the synopsis of the call. Um, eventually, uh, apparently, what happened was um, the school bought a bunch of eclipse glasses, and there was you have to send your uh, get a permission form, and if you have the permission form, there was an activity outside, and if you didn't, there was an alternative activity inside, which meant watching it on TV, um, or if you're a uh, uh, a religious faith that doesn't believe in apocalypses uh, i mean uh, eclipses apparently you had some other alternative activity you could do um and somebody called into question the authenticity of the thousands of glasses that had been bought and so oh well we can't verify we nobody from nasa wearing a white coat told us we, they were these were good so we're gonna have to throw them all out um and so now that you can't have you can't trust the glasses you bought. Not everybody bought glasses on their own, especially because since the school said we've bought glasses. Uh, so the only thing you could do at this point is just say, uh, y'all stay home. And so that's been the official uh, announcement from at least the elementary school. So it's just been ridiculous. And, and I, So that school district is responsible for them selling for $1,000 on eBay partly. because they bought up all the supply and then they tell everybody they can't use them. Oh my gosh, is that not government in mm. action? We're going to do this for you and we did it for you. Come, let us do it again. Yeah, but I, I, part of me wants to rail against, you know, and, and after last week's show, listening back to myself foaming at the mouth about the school, I actually feel a little bad about it because they're in such an impossible position right now. If any one of their uh, eight-year-olds at any point in the history of their lives needs glasses from this point on, it's that school's fault and it's, it's this uh, event that caused it. So there is such a liability at this point. The, the American litigious society is just begging for the opportunity to uh, sue somebody if, if little jimmy comes in with a sunburn because they spent four hours outside uh, observing the eclipse uh, mama's gonna sue and say you know 10 million dollars pain and suffering uh, so i they're in an impossible situation and in the end i think they just did the right thing keep your kids at home i, hit, I, I, mean, I don't agree they could i mean i agree they couldn't win it but my gosh you don't even you especially can't win it when you give away all of your ammunition and weapons to fight with. I mean, they just like, you couldn't come up with a dumber way to handle it than the way it was explained to us through you. So either they are very poor communication, in which case they maybe shouldn't be in the jobs of uh, communicating or they really are that stupid, in which case they shouldn't be in the jobs of communicating. So I don't know. Just so my me, little, you know, let, trying to keep it with the geek rant name. We're geek rant, not geek discussion mark. Come on. Let me add to the stupidity level. Uh, my daughter sent me a tweet that she got on her Twitter. Or I think she retweeted it. Apparently, somebody's going out there saying, keep all of your dogs inside tomorrow because you're not supposed to allow them outside in case they look up at the sun. Apparently, they can go blind as well. Is that, is that a thing? I mean, that just... To me, that just seems really weird. 
But I don't know. Should I bring the dogs in? What do you think? Well, my dog's already about half blind. She's 13 years old. So uh, for her, it wouldn't matter much. But yeah, I mean, if that were true, we would have historical refer- uh, uh, evidence of rove, uh, roving ranges of blind raccoons every time there had been an eclipse in the past. Yeah, like every single wild animal out there would be in the same boat, right? Right. Yeah. And I see a lot of blind deer I, and blind cows. And I think that's I just, know. it evidences the truth that animals are, are smarter than humans. They know better than to look at the sun, even if it's partially hidden. Yeah. Oh, and somebody uh, posted, you know, of course, nobody can write out a status on Facebook anymore because that's so 2016 or whatever. So now they're putting these little, you know, gifts up and saying that, you know, hey, you want a great way to look at the eclipse? Put your uh, phone in selfie mode and look at it over your shoulder. And I'm like, how stupid is that? The same process that will destroy your eye will also possibly destroy the camera on your phone so why would you do that it, it it may or may not do damage to the photoreceptor in the phone but it will certainly not produce an image worth looking at it'll be all blown out um the, actually the best way to do that would be to put your camera phone behind your eclipse glasses and there you go um well yeah but it, it was for people who right. didn't have eclipse glasses so the, the like, thing is when when the sun is 80 percent eclipsed by the moon the remaining 20% is still bright enough to burn your retinas. This is a fact. And so this is what it is. So it may be um, the visible light spectrum may have been dimmed enough that it's not uncomfortable enough to look at the sun. So you look up at the sun because it's not uncomfortable. But the UVA and UVB is still flooding your eye and burning your retinas because it's thousands of times higher than what you normally would do. Sunglasses don't cut it because sunglasses aren't designed for you to look directly at the sun. They're designed to block the sun as it comes in at angles and as it bounced around. So I understand all the warnings. It makes sense. I remember in 1984, the last time we had a, 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 a mostly uh, a solar, a mostly full solar eclipse, I think in Texas it was about 87% or something like that where I was. Um, I remember the same sort of admonishments and we all poked holes in cardboard boxes and did it that way. Uh, because you couldn't ha- buy eclipse glasses on Amazon. So the thing is, it's all good sense. The The science is real. The precautionary nature is real. But 24-hour social media has made it an apocalyptic event when it really is not. I mean, it's just not. Yes, you could damage your eyes if you spent the entire you know four hours of time staring at the sun. But glancing up at it for a couple of seconds probably isn't going to do any damage. and And probably... Anything over than about, you know, like what we're going to get here, about a 98% eclipse, anything um, more than that is going to be too uncomfortable to look at. So really common sense wins the day, but social media is no place for common sense. And apparently neither is public schools. Uncommon sense, Mark. If it were common, more people would have it. Yeah. How long are we expecting the eclipse to go for? So it it depends on where you are. uh, But in my place the 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 point at which the moon touches the sun for the first time will be about 105 p.m now at that point it will only be visible with some sort of filter because there won't be enough of the sun blocked for you to be able to look at it and then the time at which the the sun uh moves entirely away from the moon will be at about 5 15 so about four hours and 10 minutes for the entire event where i am it'll be it'll differ uh a few minutes at a time wherever you are in north america so about four hours, but the meat of it, where the sun is half covered or more, uh, will 
you know, take up about a two hour thing. And the totality in the places where there is totality will typically last about two minutes. So it's, for me, it's going to be an afternoon event. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm uh, taking that afternoon off of work. I've already told my boss it's happening. Uh, my kids are out of school. We're going to go like have a tailgate with some friends of ours and we're going to have a science lesson about what's happening. All right, everybody look up right now with your glasses on. This is what's happening. And then we're going to go like swim in the pool for a few minutes because it's going to be too boring to stand and watch the sun for four hours. And then at a 15 or 20 minute intervals, we'll come out and we'll look at the sun again and say, all right, look at the progress across the sky. Look and see what you can see. So that's the way we're going to handle it. Trying to teach people stuff. Ah. <laughs> And if you're in the point of totality, there's some really cool stuff you get to see. Like, um, it's right, it only lasts like 10 seconds or so. Uh, I forget what they call it. It's, it's somebody's names, uh, rings. And it's where the peaks and valleys of the moon are actually visible uh, with the sun shining behind them. So it's just like that's five seconds or so between totality when there's just a little bit of light shining through and you just see a little bubble of light shining through between a valley and a mountain on the moon. Um, and so I've seen pictures of all these things because eclipses happen every couple of years. They're not as rare as you might think. It's just rare that they're in North America. Um, so, uh, it's, I've seen lots of pictures of them and I would love to be able to, to show my kids that, but for me, it's not worth getting in traffic and driving and taking the thing, you know, 98% is pretty impressive as far as I'm concerned. I don't need to, to see totality and the places where there is totality I read a, a, a funny Facebook post today it was in North Carolina, which is just you know like three hours north of me, is in the path of totality. In fact, there are some areas in extreme North Georgia that will have like 19 seconds of totality. Um, and this lady was like, they're treating like hurricane season. They really are. Like all the all the hotels are booked up, and you you need bottled water, and and you, the traffic grid is going to be terrible. And I don't know if it's really going to be what it is or not, uh, but they're just saying plan for the worst because anytime you get a lot of people in in high concentration in a rural area, stupidity abounds. So there's something to look forward to. Yeah, no, I mean stupidity just. The problem is stupidity always abounds. It's just nature can only absorb so much, you know, per square mile. And so when you get more and more stupid stupidity together, nature just simply can't absorb it all. And then so it's got to like eke out. And so hopefully, you know, hopefully the country will survive. I mean, you know, there's a good chance that when we come out from behind the the shadow of the moon, I mean, there might just be this crater swat <laughs> down our country where, you know, it was a total total eclipse. So who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm very uh, frightened about the possibilities of the United States of America surviving this event. Yeah, the dead will walk. I guarantee it. <laughs> I'm just hoping that there are enterprising farmers out there that have have thought ahead enough to put out concession stands in the middle of their fields and temporary roads and and have checked the the web because you you can plug in your gps coordinates and you can find exactly where it is and and they should use this as an opportunity to sell their otherwise dormant land for an afternoon and and have you know uh, rv parking and all that sort of stuff this would be a great opportunity for a large swath of relatively marginalized america to be highlighted for an afternoon i doubt however that group of people is the the type to also take advantage of this opportunity well no see mark you've missed it right there because we as americans we are entitled to be able to go on anybody's property to view this i mean well, isn't that, that the case yeah 
I mean, how dare somebody try to keep me out of their property so I can't get the best possible experience viewing this? You know, I might have to like go onto somebody's property and climb up on their roof, and that's my right as an American. Oh God! <laughs> I mean, come on, y'all! I'm trying my no, best here. No y'all got to help me. There, there will be stories of people driving through fences and stuff. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that will be the case. They're going to be oh, chasing yeah. the shadow line, trying to stay in totality for as long as possible because it does move across uh, the nation from from left to right as you're looking at a typical map. So. um I, 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 no, I'm sorry, from right to left. So I can imagine uh, people trying to, the, you know, having a bet to, uh, to stay in the shade as long as possible. And, uh, and yeah, I could see them, you know, screw your property rights. I have a right to stay in the shade as long as possible. So if I could afford it, I wonder, you know, get a, would a jet fly too fast? Would a prop plane fly too slow? And you could have an eclipse flight, and you're just going to mirror the path and you know stay in the eclipse for hour, you know, until you run out of gas and have to find a landing strip. That would be you talk about once in a lifetime, just won the lottery, waste some money. That would you know that would be what you would want to do right there. See, that's really smart thinking, Seth. You you uh, you yeah, you plan those flights. And you have cameras mounted all over the the aircraft and monitors all over the inside. And yeah, you just stay in the path of the eclipse for as long as possible. What a, what a brilliant idea. I wish I'd thought of it. Of course, I don't have a plane, but still, what a great idea. Yeah. And I don't know the math on that, but it wouldn't be hard to do that math and figure out how fast you have to go and when you'd have to leave. Yeah. Like I say, I, I, it would be, it, that would be like if I won the lottery yesterday. That's, you know, that's what I would have been. That's what I would do with my winnings. All right. Um, okay. Moving on. I, the house is a put uh, Seth. I tried to lead you into this. I got nothing. What is, what does this mean? The house is a push for the bargain viewer. Okay. The house was the movie. Will Fer- the latest Will Ferrell movie where they operate the underground casino and they are the house and you know, so the house wins on any bet. Haven't even uh, heard about it. Oh, you haven't? No. Uh, well, it was in the. Um, they used to be called Dollar Theaters, but now AMC has made them like Dollar Eighty Four Theaters. <laughs> so, because you know who has a dollar? Who pays with cash anymore? It's all on your credit card. So why not just make it some odd number? It's still less than two dollars, so technically it's still a dollar. Um, but anyway, so I'm I'm glad I saw it. At to me, it's a good dollar movie theater you know if i would have seen this when it was fresh out i would have felt like i it was wasted but there was there was enough humor and enough funny things and you know it, it predictable enjoyable but um you know it, it you're going to see a will ferrell movie so you know what you're going to get and i think they did an okay job it was uh like i say i'm glad i saw it at the dollar movie i didn't feel cheated i felt like i got my money's worth so, you know, they got to raise their box office numbers a little bit, and I got to enjoy a couple hours of time. Oh, and what made it really great is the, and I don't understand, I guess, you know, I guess to African-American people, all white people look the same, because I was actually carded to get into a rated R movie. <laughs> I don't know how, I wish, but I was. I, wish I, I was like, carded. do I really look yeah. that young? Yeah, that salt said, and pepper yes, hair do. is a dead giveaway. <laughs> oh, Nice. Uh, my only media uh, is I watched the first two episodes of Defenders last night. It came out Friday night. Netflix's new uh, combination of 
uh, Iron Fist and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Daredevil. And so far, it's two episodes of meh. I just meh. I don't care. I'm, I'm so I'm so disappointed that I don't care. Uh, and maybe they're, it's a long storytelling arc. You know, uh, maybe that's the uh, the way they're going, and it's going to get way better. But I, I really wanted to just. I mean, the very first fight scene of the movie was Danny Rand, and my main complaint about all of the fight scenes in Iron Fist was that they sucked. And so they started with the weakest choreography of the entire series. And that's just not, you know, like the first 90 seconds was equal you know, to the weakness that was the, the, the Iron Fist series. That's just not the way to start. If, if you want to start somewhere, start with Daredevil or start with, uh, you know, even Luke Cage was more entertaining because he broke through walls and stuff. But the story they chose to tell didn't allow for that. So anyway. Well, bummer. And Seth, you're you're not in the realm of the Netflix people right now, so you you haven't seen any of it, right? No, not yet. All right, you you, you need to buy a month and watch it. Yeah, I might. Uh, I right now I'm watching I'm watching Enterprise, so I've got like two shows left of the first season. I was just like, you know, I haven't, and I've I real I missed a lot of them, so you know, mm-hmm. I'm watching Enterprise and I'm I tr- enjoying it. I tried really hard to like that. Hot Vulcan was really the the thing to watch. That was it. Well, I call her to Paul of nine. <laughs> that's, nice. that's my name for her. When I think about, I don't think of to Paul. I think of to Paul of nine because yeah. you know, she's just trying to be Jerry Ryan and not quite Jerry Ryan. Yes. So, and then miles uh, spent his weekend apparently at the arts and craft store because that's what geeks do. Well, no, no, not me. Not me. <laughs> this was a story I got from my wife when she got home. Uh, okay. So this is weird, right? She's in the store and, uh, I don't know, waiting at the counter for a, a, the framing section or something at one of the art and craft, like a Michael's. And uh, her phone rings. And so she answers her phone. And apparently it's somebody asking for me. And I guess that's because maybe the phone was registered under my name on the account or something. It's one of those family plan things. And uh, they start saying, why are you continuously calling me from this number? That was what the caller asked. So she's sort of taken aback and she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not. And then the person starts saying, well, isn't this number? And they say the number. And she goes, yeah. And apparently this person's saying, well, I've received like, you know, a hundred phone calls from this number. And, you know, do you realize that your number is being used for all these calls? And she's like, no. And apparently then at this point, the caller starts asking a whole bunch of questions like, well, let's see if we together can solve this problem and then starts asking all these questions. Strange thing is, meanwhile, this guy in the store comes up to her and taps her on her shoulder and she turns around and it's a police officer and he says, hang up the phone. And so she's like, oh, no, what's going on? Am I in trouble or anything? So she hangs up the phone and the guy says, that was a scam call. This is a real common thing right now. Apparently, what happens is there, there's this gang or crew or something that's out there, and what they'll do is they'll do anything to get your identity. So they call, they get a list of phone numbers and names, and they just randomly call them and get somebody involved in this discussion of thinking that they've done something wrong, and then all of a sudden they get them to give up all this personal identifying information 
by making them feel like they're a party to solve the problem. And oh. apparently it's a thing. And I never, I've never heard of this, but this cop came up and literally saved the day. And it was just purely lucky, luck that he happened to be in the store. So I was curious, have you heard about anything like this? I have not. I, and I kind of thought that's the direction it was going to go when you started telling the story. Um, it's clever. I, I want to give props to them. But, man, that's an awful lot of work, too. I mean, these people um, must have a lot of time on their hands. Yeah. I, I'm wondering whether the problem is that people are using their cell phones <clears throat> and their um, SMS number as a secondary form of like a, a, a two-factor authentication. Is a secondary part of the two-factor authentication. So if they've got your password and then they try and log in, it needs to send a code to your phone. There was a lot of people going on about this to say, you know, be careful of your uh, that somebody can't steal your phone number and have it applied to their phone because then they can get you on the second part of two-factor authentication. I don't know. I just got of curious that this came up. It was just one of those weird things. Well, you know, a lot of websites are pushing – uh, mobile authentication like Yahoo, mm -hmm. which yes, I'm still using Yahoo as one of my email addresses. It, they're making it harder and harder to use a password instead of a phone number. And, you know, a friend of mine, they locked themselves out of their phone be or out of their email because their phone couldn't, they couldn't like accept the code or something. And so I had to figure out how to go in and take our phone number off so that they could then use an email um, or a password. So a lot of people do. It's very, very common now for people to not use passwords because, you know, passwords are so 20th century. You know, you have a password, you should use your phone because everybody has your phone and everybody knows what awesome security all phone manufacturers use and, you know, all operating systems manufacturers use. So everybody should use their phone for security. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I know PayPal use uh, SMS for uh, second factor authentication if you choose to. Probably most credit card companies would do it as well. So I don't know, just it's a little bit unnerving. But thankfully, we sort of caught it before it was an issue. And and like I said, they are they are actively pushing SMS and knowing that it is not secure at all. I don't understand that, but. It, you know. This actually, it ties in with a great story. Can we go ahead and uh, skip down to that story, Mark? Sure. Okay. Uh, it's I called it the fixes in, and this is an Ars Technica article. And, of course, you know, granted security, some fear-mongering here, but um, if you get replacement parts for your phone uh, through, you know, oh, look, I found this place from China, and it's super cheap, chips are so small now that they can add a chip to a replacement part and hijack your phone security because it can be a key logger or it can, you know, install malicious apps. And because it kind of bypasses the phone, you know, your Android security or Apple security isn't going to detect it. It's, um, you know, you think, oh, look, I got my screen replaced for only $20 or however much. Well, okay. You know, the reason you got that screen is because it has this little chip built in. And remember, these aren't, these aren't, 10 years ago computer chips that were the size of a wristwatch these are like you know smaller than a uh, micro sd card now that's in your phone and it high it 
key logs your numbers and then all of a sudden it sends it out every day during a period of inactivity and so what you thought was a cheap fix has become a cheap way for groups of criminals to you know harvest identities for sale and again you know do your due diligence it's just because it can happen doesn't mean it will happen but you know if 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 everywhere this part is a hundred dollars but you found this one website that'll sell it to you for 20 you know maybe think twice so i love the name they gave for it the chip in the middle attack that's great um <laughs> and I, I would say that this is a proof of concept thing now it's not something that is a uh, um you know happening commonplace but an interesting idea anyway yeah and you know i mean proof of concept today is the packaged exploit tomorrow right so you know maybe you know whenever whenever you bought that new iphone for your kid to take off to college and in two months when they you know took uh ate you know drank too much of the kegger and dropped their phone and broke their glass and didn't want to tell you so they found this cheap way to get it fixed and all of a sudden you notice that they're using an extra four hundred dollars a month on your credit card you know honey what happened well nothing i promise i'm not doing it and so and the the thing is you you wouldn't necessarily the the end user uh wouldn't necessarily have to be the the victim here the the guy down the street where it's pizza and phone cell phone repair uh is you know got his little shop set up in in the center he's cutting costs everywhere possible and he may be selling these by the dozens not knowing it uh so it's it's a lot of work for the end user it's you know it's it's definitely casting a large net to hope to get a couple of big fish but the expense at this point is so low that there kind of wouldn't be any reason not to do it right interesting idea Man, you've got to be on, on your toes, don't you? I mean, anywhere you go these days, there's always somebody trying to outthink you and habit. You've got to be so questioning your habits all the time. But Which, know. you know, of course, then what's the response to this? Uh, throw your phone away. Yeah, buy a new phone. That's, that's yeah. the response. Which is not not ideal, right? You don't want to be, uh, you know, we've decried that uh, uh, disposable mentality in the past, but that's that's the only way you can be 100% sure to be uh, safe from this because not many manufacturers have a repair option. You know, they have warranty repairs, right? But if you crack your screen, your your Samsung phone, you can't send it back to Samsung for repair. That's, they're not in that business. Uh, so the, the only choice is to be 100% sure. The only way to be 100% sure that your uh, uh, parts are genuine is to throw the phone away and get another one. Hmm yay america <laughs> but you know and granted i mean that's not just america it could be anywhere yeah, but yeah. It, it, just be careful i mean treat your phone as if it is a precious thing and not a cheap throwaway i you know i mean i i have a crappy phone that i've had for three or four years and i haven't broke the screen on it so you know it and granted accidents happen but you know if you invest in a screen protector if you invest in a good um case to put it in then you know well yeah you're doing that every time but everybody's going to drop their phone you know um especially if you have children or you know you sit in a seat wrong and you know and again grass glass gets cracked so in protect you know not secure but also protect your device protect your protect the things that matter to you and if your pocketbook matters to you protect the things that affect it 
And more and more, the phone is the uh, repository of your most inf- intimate information. Uh, right. You know, my password manager is on my phone. My credit card app is on my phone. Uh, the phone is now the place where I keep all of my secrets. And I don't think I'm unusual in that. No. No, you're you're not. not. And so, you know, that's why not only is security important, but protection is also important. Protection is a form of security now. How about that for tying those stories together? So while I'm in the uh, tinfoil hat mode, let me read some uh, feedback from our friend Greg, who says, you emphatically state that everybody would benefit from having binary blobs in the kernel. While that might be true in a perfect world, it isn't true in ours. One argument for the hardcore open source people is that if they packaged a binary blob into the kernel, it would be easy to include a backdoor. So a special sequence of events could allow spying, data exfiltration, or something not desired by the owner of the machine. I believe my comments were uh, well represented in the way I read that. So I'll let you comment on it. Miles, you want to go first? You want me to? Because I, I, I can get all up in this. Two words, reverse engineering. Seems to me that it wouldn't be, well, I've done a little bit of reverse engineering in my time where I've taken compiled code and tried to return it back to some semblance of source. It's not impossible given the amount of energy and effort uh, with certain binary code blobs, but um, as a general principle, um, I guess open source is supposed to be open. And I guess that that's why NVIDIA aren't giving their drivers and including it in uh, Linux because they'd have to open source them. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if I have a position on this. What do you think, Seth? Okay. I think that while in theory, Mark, your argument sounds great and noble and, you know, uh, unicorns and rainbow farts for the masses, but the problem is you are trusting intel or nvidia or samsung or any company to hire great quality software engineers to write that so there is no one verifying that they didn't shortcut the code to get it out because you know it was given to them look you got five minutes to write this driver before we ship it out or you're fired i don't care if it's i don't care if there's bugs in it it just has to get out that's the mentality of big companies like that and so well-meaning they didn't mean to put a backdoor in there they didn't mean to shortcut security but they cheaply wrote the code and now it's available for attack to get you into the kernel because that blob is in there and there's nobody who can look and say oh my gosh you know what did they did they copy and paste from the web was this a kindergartner writing code so it sounds good until you get into the real world and realize how good big companies are at circumventing security. How many times, you know, hey, let's open up all the permissions to test it. And then they forgot to close those permissions. How many times have we talked about exploits found in wireless routers? And it wasn't nefariously done there. It was just somebody did it for troubleshooting. And then they got fired for mouthing off to their boss. And the other person coming in didn't know that it hadn't been turned off. So it got shipped. And now everybody's home routers are open to the internet because of poor quality coding that nobody else can view. So that is why closed binary blobs in the Linux kernel are bad news for everyone. Stipulated. But you're already trusting these people. 
the code, the, the driver, the hardware in the system. Hardware is just software on chips. The, the same Intel designers that you're afraid of also designed the chip that's in your laptop. It, it, the, the trust no one philosophy only works if you can do everything. If you can't do everything, you must trust somebody. So at some point, you have to trust the people who have the most to lose. If if Intel um, is proven to have put a backdoor in a binary blob in Linux, that is a major uh, downfall uh, of Intel as a corporation. Will it cause them to, to crumble entirely? No, but it will certainly be uh, a very damaging thing, whether it's knowing or unknowing. The same would be true for a Windows driver or a Mac driver. If, if they uh, wrote code that was installed on a range of devices that was a somehow a nefarious or accidental backdoor, that would be um, damaging to the corporate financial position of Intel, therefore, or, or NVIDIA or whatever. So, so therefore, they have, they have reason to not have a, a, a college student intern write the driver or to at least review it. You have to trust greed to protect you in this instance. Intel's own greed, NVIDIA's own greed, will make sure that they're producing at least safe code, if not quality code. You're already trusting these people. You open source zealots out there say, if I can't see it, I can't believe it. That's garbage. You're, you're being uh, intellectually dishonest unless you soldered the, own, the, the components into your own thing. You're already trusting everybody. Have you stripped down your car? Have you pulled every component out and verified it? Are you sure that your cell phone um, has not been tapped? Are you sure that there aren't any components there? Have you taken every piece of it apart? Have you made sure that your shoes don't have wireless tracking devices in them? Have you properly microwaved them? You have not. Therefore, you're being intellectually dishonest when you pick this one thing and say, yeah, but, binary blobs, but, 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 but. It's just not a real argument. There are so many real arguments that we could actually be having to foist this unreal argument on the society just because you feel like you don't you you're some sort of super spiritual high horse there by protecting openness uh it's it's just intellectually dishonest and that's what pisses me off not that you don't have a point but that you're choosing to uh, pursue the wrong point at the wrong time hmm i'll have to think about that no i'm actually kind of leaning towards your position mark i mean you're right we can't no, everything in the world, we have to trust something. We can't know what goes on in our cars. We can't know what goes on in our uh, home alarm systems, uh, the, the surveillance camera you bought from some company. I mean, who? You know, at some point, it's, well, there's, a, there's risk and exposure of being alive, and it's a question of how you manage it. And we don't have to have complete control over everything in our world to be able to feel that we can exist. It's just a question of what level of comfort we're all at. The problem is that we, when these intellectual arguments take on a, a, a spiritual zealotry tone, we forget the real world. And, and Greg chastised me for not living in the real world here. And then through an argument that simply is specious. It has the appearance of being valid, but it is not. Sorry, Greg. I, I appreciate you being a listener. I appreciate your feedback, but you're wrong. Plain and simple. I can understand his context, though, because if you're coming from a true open source position, 
then your position is that you couldn't you got to that place that open source place because you had a bad experience in a closed source world in which you no longer trusted closed source but i think you're right the argument isn't black and white it's not open or closed it's maybe a little bit open with a bit of closed or maybe a bit of closed with a little open i mean there's something in there for everybody. Just a question of finding what you're most comfortable with. There, I mean, Stallman goes nuts on this sort of stuff with his open BIOS laptops and, you know, he won't connect to the internet and he does all his email in Emacs or something. I mean, the guy's nuts. And he got to that place because he's made a career out of being that guy. But is it realistic no, it's not. We can't live like that. That's just not the way the world works. So maybe a bit of what they're doing is right and a bit of it, you know, breaking from it. And we all work out what's comfortable for us. I mean, I, I totally understand your argument. I just, I look at all of the stuff that they put out and how many revisions and updates there are to their things and not that they're isn't updates to the open source and more people can see it i guess i mean i understand your argument and it's a valid argument but but then again you know i mean what's the point of open source if it's not open then it's it's like i i, I don't know right beautiful say that thing that you just said what's the point okay. of open source if it's not op open that's an argument we can have that's an intellectually honest discussion that we can have you can you can defend yourself on the point of um, I'm willing to put up with the inconvenience of not having the closed source drivers because I believe the open experience is worth the inconvenience. I will I will have that discussion with you. I will agree with you on that. I will choose to go my own way. For me, convenience trumps openness almost every time. But you know, I recognize that at that point you have made a stand upon which we disagree, and and that's great. But when you Chain, when you are unwilling to make that stand and instead say, but, but, but back doors, that's just wrong. Plain and simple, you have taken the argument out of the open and shoved it in. It's like invoking the Nazis. At that point, you have broken the argument by using something that actually doesn't belong there. Yeah, I, I got news for you, Mark. My argument game, I think, is about to get better because I went to Half Price Books and I, I went looking specifically for a book on logical fallacies. But nice. of course, who, who's going to have that? But I did find a good book on argument that was apparently a college-level textbook. So uh, it's sitting in my car now, and I'm going to have to start going through it because I want to be able to argue better. And I mean argue in the sense is meant and not to be stupid uh you know just disagree with people but you lay out a proposition and you support it with facts and you don't lay out point a but defend point b you know you don't lay out point a but attack point c so anyway my goal is to get argument game we'll see how well that happens and i think you did a great job of representing greg in that and and i i understand where where greg is coming from but the point is he basically just said Nazis in a discussion about uh, gardening, and it just it it's a it's a trope that is so common all over the internet that it's become a joke. But it's also it's just the way people argue these days, and and you just you can't you have to have discussion you have to keep your discussion about one thing. All right, moving on. Miles, did you want to talk about Halt and Catch Fire, or should we just blow on past that? 
Nah, pass it. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't that great, at least the first episode. <laughs> it's been around for a while. Some people like it. I haven't seen it. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> um, so this there is no particular topic tonight, and we're 40-plus minutes in uh, without having said much. <laughs> What's the temperature at, Mark? <laughs> um, still holding at 82 right now. Okay. Um, and... <laughs> So I told the guys when when you start to see the bead of sweat drop down my forehead across my nose, you'll know the show is over. At that point, I'm sure I am turning beet red at this point. Uh, part uh, partly due to the uh, emphatic nature of my discussion, but also partly because it's dang hot in here. Um, so uh, let's talk about the fact that Bing wants to be known as little more than as more than the little brother in the search market. Well, it turns out that while Bing is not, you know, it's not eclipsed Google. I think when you've captured one third of the market of the search market in the U.S., I mean, I think you've arrived. So that means at most it's half the size of Google search, but it's actually a little bit bigger because all the little niche players out there. So, yeah, um, being is uh, it's growing up and it is I guess it's got darn respectable uh 33 of u.s searches um being as bigger than you think and then there's this little graphic that shows you know like 23 percent in the united kingdom some places are you know germany seems to hate them only at nine percent but it appears that being you know while not the darling of the ball is no longer the laughing stock so they they got in you know they just had to they had to slip the dorm in like five bucks but they did get in now so, what they had to do was make being the default and very difficult to change search engine on their web browsers they had to pay firefox enough money that they dumped uh, uh, google as their default then they managed to sneak into the one-third spot uh, whereas Google did it entirely organically just by being a good search engine. Oh, Google bought share on Facebook too. That's part of what ascended them was when they were default. So, you know, being is just slower be, but you know, it's not crap. I mean, I, I don't no. use Bing, but sometimes I have done some comparative stuff and it's not crap. Um, I don't, I don't like it, but you know, some of that is just the aesthetics and I like what I use. I mean, if off the Vista were still a thing, that's what I would be using. I didn't Amen. care what anybody else does, but, um, it, it's not crap. So I think being is a viable search alternative. Well, yeah, being nobody uses being quote, quote, nobody uses being in the same way that quote, uh, um, Google plus is a ghost town. It's a ghost town with about 9 million daily active users. Um, you know, it all depends on what your comparison is. Yes, compared to Big Brother Google, Bing is an also-ran, but it is in the race. Right. But this is important it, to Google, though. If Bing, is not, if Bing was not there, Google would then be subject to a whole bunch of antitrust uh, issues exactly. with the government. This way, they can defend themselves and go, well, people aren't forced to use us. They could always use Bing. So they don't want Bing to go away. In the same way that Microsoft saved the life of Apple Corporation, uh, Google wants uh, Bing to succeed. Yeah, and you know Microsoft killed browser innovation by giving away their crappy Internet Explorer, and you know it took it took years before Firefox came to the rescue of browsers everywhere, and now even the improvement in um, Microsoft's browsing technology can be laid at the feet of Firefox. So having a competitor out there 
to force Google to, you know, not get crappy um, if they want to stay good it, is good for everybody. It's good for Google users, you know, but um, so yay, competition. Woohoo. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, IoT, the S stands for security. Um, <laughs> what happens when your smart lock turns dumb? Yeah, there was an issue with this uh, company. They issued um, an update to kind of like the BIOS of their locks. And it was meant for one model, but they accidentally released it to another model, so it bricked them. And um, you can't get over-the-air updates for it because of that. Um, so the options are to send it in and get it replaced which could take several weeks or to get a new version so anyway it's just you know you pay all the extra money for the features of a smart lock and then they brick it so it just becomes a regular lock are you going to not have a lock on your door for six to eight weeks while the company takes care of things um you're going to buy another lock and change it out for something that could happen again what happens when they come out with the new version of lock that changes the buttons from circles to squares and they want everybody to use that so then they release another firmware that just on accident happens to brick all the old models and you know they'll give you a five dollar trade-in if you send it back with postage paid to this uh, address that doesn't exist so you know smart smart iot stuff it's great for a novelty, but if you're going to really invest it in your life, uh, it is it is not. Even though it's being used in prime time, I don't think it's ready for prime time. Well, if you're just a regular homeowner with a smart lock and you have the key, this is a mild inconvenience. Your kid has to go play at the neighbors next door until you get home because the code doesn't work. If you own a beach condo and uh, a significant portion of your uh, annual income is renting that to people through VRBO or Vacation Rentals or Airbnb, and you can't give people access because you're three states away, this is a much bigger deal than, than just, oh my gosh, the code doesn't work for six weeks. Um, the, the, the thing about IoT devices is they have to be connected. That's one of the things that we've always talked about is there has to be an update path. Uh, the Ring doorbell, for example, a security thing was found. They were to fix it uh, within hours of the the fix and and the the sort of the the tech community here on this show we said that's doing it right you have a you you have a connected device you have an update path but what do you do when the update breaks so much that you can't update anymore i mean any anybody who's been in the tech world long enough has bricked the bios trying to do an update it's just one of those things and once you do that you're done it's over and so they have updated their devices and bricked them the the only fix is physical it must be taken to a shop, sent off or whatever. And and so this could very potentially uh, ruin people's lives in terms of income lost. Uh, uh, or, at, you know, at the very least, it's inconvenience and maybe lock the kid out in the rain. Um, this is a, an, a, an a incredibly unfortunate series of events, but it's also an entirely unavoidable series of events. This will continue to happen. Well, here's the other thing that, you know, when you build a lock, the level of engineering that's applied to building a mechanical lock is design and then fabrication, assembly, and then basic testing, which means, yeah, it locked, yeah, it unlocked, ship it. It's not like that for software. 
software is an entirely different animal for, for engineer, uh, engineering it, and it requires an enormous amount of quality control, quality assurance, and it's, it's an ongoing, forever existing, uh, evolving thing. It, you know, no one stopped at version one. They continue going, going forward. And I don't think that a lot of these physical manufacturing companies understand what running a software company is like. They don't have any idea about it, and they're going through a transition of realizing, oh, yeah, we can't do it that way because it's complicated, and yet they're still under the same pressure to ship the new thing because their competitor is coming out with their version of the new thing. And we, the the consumer public, are witnessing this transition, and if you want to put a smart lock or a camera on your door or your Nest thermostat, you better be aware that these companies are not necessarily very good at being software companies yet. Yeah, and you know, but even in even if they are a great software company, what happened is they they have this one model and it is the 6i. And so and then there's also this model called the 7i. And they released the BIOS update for like the 7i, but somebody accidentally clicked the box and said, "Yes, ship it to the 6i." So even if the BIOS worked perfectly, they they you know they screwed the pooch for the distribution of it and so now everything is left kind of hanging out in the open yeah and there's no easy fix for this there nope. there isn't um this company is going to have to um issue refunds to stay in business they're going to have to say my bad here's a free lock and we'll overnight ship it to you that's the only way they're going to survive this yeah, you're right, because the only comparative uh, company going through this would be like automobile manufacturers with recalls. Right. And and a lot of, you know, most of the small companies making locks, they'll be out of business. They couldn't afford to support that. Yeah. And and so I think Lockstate is the company. I think I think they're gone for smart locks. That doesn't mean they can't make locks. But this is this is a case of a lock company who turned software company, just like you said, Miles, and they were unprepared for the transition uh in the case of like the ring doorbell it started as a software company who created a hardware thing i think you have better success with things like that like the nest we start as software and we move into hardware but when you get a hardware company that just wants to get in on this iot thing let's stick a, a microchip in this lock that we've been making since 1875 um you end up unprepared and unable and it's unsustainable i think this company um will they're dead in terms of smart locks, the this, the word will spread. I don't know because name one antivirus manufacturer who hasn't released an update that you know deleted Windows system files. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but that I mean, didn't take a, a hardware replacement to fix. This requires right. a replacement of hardware. Right. I mean, yeah, it was you know. So I don't. I mean, it, it's bad, but I don't. I just. The, the the net society uh, culture whatever today's attention span I think is far too short for something like this to derail I mean it can set a company back but I don't know that it, it has the potential to derail it but I don't think it's automatic yeah we'll see what happens um, we'll also see what happens with the FCC America has spoken up uh, in response to what we talked about when the FCC said you know Americans don't really need internet. There have been lots of responses, call for responses. Uh, uh, Oliver, uh, something Oliver, John Oliver, the the host of 
last week tonight set up a website called gold go fcc yourself where you can uh write some feedback to the fcc there has been some feedback i don't think anybody's listening though yeah you know that's you can you can put the feedback on their website but you know the problem is that's not the feedback that comes from the people giving money to the political machines and yes political machines exist today you know they just they just look better than they did back in the days of tammany hall so um you know that's the that's the side whose feedback really matters um I, I hope this does something because, again, like I say, everything in the government is there to represent the business side of the economy. There seems to be very little to represent the consumer side of the economy. And the consumers are too easily, you know, um, amused with cat videos and shiny new cell phones that don't really do anything different than their old cell phones except appear shiny. Um for people to care what we think but we're letting them know that we hate it so hopefully it's enough and you know a site like go fcc yourself while it's it's funny and it's certainly part of a television show um having uh people respond to a federal call for responses with things like i came here for the lulls huh um you know it's it's not going to be beneficial so i think this is a case of old world and new world colliding in a way that's just not beneficial and you know you could even argue that the old world orchestrated that to make the new world seem inept and clueless i don't if you wanted to put a conspiracy theory hat on that would be one you could wear and be pretty good in style today come on guys i'm trying let's get some ranting going on (laughs) i'm I'm laying it out there buffet style today (laughs) i think i've i've held up my end of the bargain i'm i'm okay now uh, Facebook's keeping it local by building, spending $750 million right here in the good old U.S. of A. Yeah, I just, you know, Facebook is growing, and this is a 22-acre data center that they are having to build because everybody wants to upload selfies. You know, I mean, yes, one picture doesn't require that much data, but when you have darn near a billion users averaging probably one a day because you say i haven't done a selfie in 10 years well you know teen girl down the street did 15 while i said that so all of this data has to be stored because remember the thing with facebook at any time you can go and request and about 30 minutes later or so you can download this blob that has your information has all your pictures all your tweets everything or tweets everything you've added for status updates everything shows up when you do that so i mean in 60 years when today's 13 year olds who lied and said they were 18 when they joined are in their 70s and they want to show you know granddaughter how it used to be back in the day and it takes you know two years to compile the terabytes of information that is stored there all that stuff has to be stored somewhere and energy has to be used to store it and an infrastructure to support the people who monitor the data to make sure the hard drives don't go bad you know i mean there's a i mean eventually the world is going to be one giant facebook data center and that's just kind of scary or when we get satellite done maybe we'll just hollow out the moon and make the moon our data center you wouldn't have any cooling problems that's true but we would be contributing to the heat death of the universe (laughs) i was watching that uh there's a new tv show out well relatively new it's called live pd you guys ever seen it no oh it's on like friday and saturday night on a and e 
And it's basically a three-hour-long episode of Cops. So what they do is they have uh, multiple states operating all at the same time, and they put uh, inside the police car, they've got like a producer and a cameraman, and they follow around police officers on a Friday and a Saturday night. And, of course, a whole lot of stuff goes down, and they edit it all from New York City, so they just shoot between the different things to make it interesting. Well, they had this one thing where a guy was I, – I think he was trying to hunt down the location of somebody who had a warrant or that they were trying to arrest. And they had mentioned that one of the greatest uh, tools that the frontline police departments are using is Facebook, that they will find – if they – if they pull somebody up who doesn't have ID on them in a, in a car and they then ask the person for their name and their date of birth so they can try and find out if this person is the person that, you know, they're looking at because they want to get a photograph and match it. And if that doesn't come up with anything, they actually will, will check Facebook to see if this person exists and who their friends are and if they're actively posting. And I sort of watched this and I realized – that's the police department's database now. They don't need mm -hmm. the national crime databases. They use Facebook and it validates who the person they just caught is, how, what they think, what they like, you know, what's their political affiliation, you know, what they want to brag about, their tattoos or whatever. It's all out there and we're giving it out there to people. So I, now I'm, I'm still not a Facebook user. I don't ever anticipate being one and they can build data centers into the sky and I don't really care because that's the sort of stuff it gets used for. Oh, I've long, long maintained that it's important to control your presence, to, to know what you want to do. And, and yes, these people are choosing to put things on, on Facebook that they might choose to put anywhere. But I, I've never liked giving my information to a Facebook or to a Twitter. Twitter. I want to keep it myself. I want to build my own websites where I can control my data and I can have my message that goes out there and nobody can change it. Unless, of course, you use Squarespace and they decide they don't like you. Yeah, this is, you know, of course... The insanity has got to stop. I mean, Six Flags took down the Confederate flag because people get offended by it. I mean, it was the Six Flags over Texas. This is a little geography lesson for all of you non-Texans. You know, um, sorry you don't live in our state. But, you know, if the French had a claim to parts of Texas, uh, Spain had a claim to parts of Texas, uh, Mexico had a claim to parts of Texas, and then, you know, we became the Republic of Texas, and then we joined the Confederate States of America. Well, we joined the United States of America, then the Confederate States of America, and then back to the United States of America. So having the Confederate flag flying has one of the six flags of the six flags over Texas you don't get any more freaking historical context than that. And that is only slightly dumber than things like uh, Squarespace saying, hey, if you're a white supremacy group, we're going to take your site down because, you know, people get offended by it. Now, I'm not supporting their ideas. I disagree with their ideas, but I agree with their rights to have their ideas out there. If you don't see what they say, then how can you know? the the truth you know if i want to refute what they say i need to know what they believe or otherwise i'm just making stuff up you know um i, I we've said on the show many times i'm a christian talked to some mormon missionaries came by in college and i was actually over at mark's house when they came by and you know it's like 
I didn't like go ask my pastor what Mormons believe. Um, I gave the Mormons my little missionary tract and say, here, this is all I know about you. And then what, you know, is this true? And let's go from there. So if you're going to take down the sites of everybody who disagrees with you, well, once they get removed, what's the next group that comes down? Because when totalitarian thought like this gets its foothold in society, it doesn't say, okay, good, that's all I ever wanted to do. We, we remove the, the neo-Nazis and the white fascists. The internet is perfect now. I'm never going to seek to silence anybody else I happen to disagree with. No, they say, hey, we took them down. Who's almost as offensive as them? Mm-hmm. Who's almost as offensive as them? Who's almost as offensive as them? And then it gets to the point to where there's – you can't say anything online because it's illegal. Political correctness run amok is destroying the fabric of our society because when somebody disagrees with you, you have to go to a safe place, safe space, you know, stocked with orange juice, milk, and cookies and Snickers bars. Otherwise, you're going to get offended and riot. And I just, it's stupid that now, again, this isn't, you know, we have a right to free speech. You know, they aren't cut off from the internet, at least not yet. Just Squarespace and other sites like that saying you can't host it on our space, you know, learn how to code and build your own. So I just think, I, I think this is bad for American society and the, and society has a whole, and it starts us further down the road where you are not allowed to dissent when somebody mentions an opinion. If and there's and it's already showing up in colleges where people are teachers are teaching physical violence is an appropriate reaction to when somebody has a thought you disagree with. That's considered mental violence, and that's actually worse than you being physically violent to defend yourself against thoughts you disagree with. Now, granted, that's only an isolated incident, but hey, this is only Squarespace taking down hate speech. And again, I I wouldn't disagree that, you know, white Nazis saying black people have to die and Jews have to die and Mexicans have to die. I would not disagree agree that that's hate speech i'm not condoning their speech but i think their speech needs to be fought in the realm of ideas and not fought on trying to make sure that you know they have to be secret about what they believe um my arguments my beliefs are not so weak that they require a vacuum of opposing opinions to stand in and if your viewpoints are that weak then, you know, maybe there's something wrong with your viewpoint. Anyway, Mark, that's my little rant on why I think Squarespace is bowing to the stupid pressure. And, you know, we've lost more uncommon sense in America. What do you think? Well, I think Squarespace built themselves on a platform of letting you tell your story. That's been their media uh, from the beginning. That's the thing. We we are a place where you can do your thing. Um, uh you know, Facebook has fought this same battle. What are we going to allow? What are we not? Uh, to to strike a contrast to that, this this entity here, Element OP Productions, uh, my website is not your place. It's my place. It's not you, the listener. We we hope to include you in the conversation, but I am the arbiter of all that is and and will happen on this website. I reserve the right to uh, to strike any comments, to remove any uh, of uh, posts. I have done so in the past. I will continue to do so. This is my domain, and I control it in the form of a benevolent dictator. Squarespace has chosen not to do that. 
Squarespace has said we are uh, an open platform. As long as you spend uh, spend twenty bucks a month with us, you can say what you want. Until now, when we decide that what you want to say is not okay, Squarespace certainly has the right to do that. But my concern is um, that anytime you draw that line, you, you can either become four chan, you know, uh, uh, Reddit, you know, the B board. Uh, you can you can become that un un uh, controlled sort of thing. Or you can have some controls, uh, or you can have rigid controls. But it, it, it really is a, a switch. You either control what is on your site or you don't. And when you selectively control things, uh, it kind of takes some of that righteous indignation out from under your feet. You can't stand on the fact that uh, we, we say here, uh, you know, you can say whatever you say, you can be whatever you want to be unless we disagree with it. Um, Seth, your your rant was well well spoken. Uh, but I don't think it is actually appropriate in this context. This uh, this is not stamping out the right for these people to voice unpopular opinions. This is Squarespace making a choice. Um, they can do that, but we just need to be careful about the choice that they're making. Uh, they have they have aligned themselves in a certain way now. Uh, the next thing you know that they might choose to do is take away certain political speech that they don't like. You know, uh, a Trump supporter website might be taken down because they disagree with it. All of these things are within their rights, but it does speak to your point, Seth, a uh, a growing intolerance uh, within the society uh, to to um, uh, be unwilling to hear those who disagree with you, uh, whatever it may be. And while I don't think that is the the bedrock foundation of of unfettered speech is being shaken, you know, because as I've said many times, this whole thing here is not a free speech argument. It's not a first amendment argument. The government isn't involved here. Um, it, it does speak to the fact that our society is changing in such a way that we are, we are unwilling to hear those who disagree with us, uh, anymore. And, and that I find disconcerting miles. Go ahead, miles. Um, this is fashionable right now, which is sad. It's sad that we've come to a point right now where it's fashionable to be seen to be the one to not allow, you know, far right or left elements to be stating their position. Um, and I wonder whether or not there's an overreaction because they think that if they get seen to be the, the guys who stomped out all that hate speech and got rid of all those sort of people, maybe their stock price goes up or maybe their customers feel more comfortable or they attract more customers. I don't think there's a motivation here which is uh, anything more than this is fashionable and we think we can make more money by doing it. Um, and that might sound a little callous, but this week has just been one week of fashionable opt-out uh, without anybody really wanting to address or have a mature discussion or listen to somebody else's opinion. Um, and I'm not saying that one side's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying that nobody seems to want to listen to anybody anymore. Um, I also got, get a general feeling that there's a that we're going through a sort of a process right now where anything that makes us all start to attack or hate each other or fight each other over positions, which has been the case really for the last couple of years, um, it just devalues or it weakens us as a country in the United States. And I see that as potentially a setup by some outside authority that would more benefit from us being weaker as a society. And I'm kind of a bit concerned about that. I'm not sure... 
maybe just a sense that there'd be a lot of benefit, benefiting countries outside of the US to watch the United States burn down in a hail of argument as opposed to actually being mature and listen to each other and, and start realising that their position is not 100% the right position. You know what I mean? Mm. That's seditious thought there, Miles. Seth, you were going to say? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. And for people who want to say, well, yeah, but they were vi- they were violating Squarespace's acceptable use policy. And okay, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but here's the deal. That policy was last changed in September of last year. The fact that they waited until somebody threw a hissy fit to throw up the, you know, acceptable use policy, hypocrite. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we found out about this site. You know, we looked at this site and it violates our usage. And so we're not going to allow it to go live. You know, hey, that's one. But hey, we've had this usage policy and we haven't enforced it for two years. But now we're going to selectively enforce it on you because, you know, somebody paid us money to. Um, who knows? It's, you know, it's so hard to figure out what's actually happening in the country because, you know, you go to Fox news and you get to hear the right wing spin. You go to MSNBC or CNN, you get to hear the left wing spin, you know, the blogosphere, you're either, you know, you're either neo-fascist or you're communist fascist, uh, telling ever telling everybody else that they're wrong so who knows what's really going on in our country but i think this is a i think this is a sad time you know just general rule of thumb um you know uh, uh rule for life just a good way to um to live your life is uh, is this if you belong to a group with the word supremacist in the title you're an idiot you know that's just a you know good uh, general sort of life lesson there uh having said that um Shouting down those who disagree with you is supremacy, is fascism. Um, shouting down in the name of anti-fascism is still fascism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got to be careful that you don't become what you hate in fighting what you hate. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Well said. Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. So we're going to travel back in the time machine to August 18th, 1947. And we find that on this day in history, Hewlett Packard is incorporated. Hewlett Packard Company is incorporated nine years after William Hewlett and David Packard sold their first oscillators from a garage in Palo Alto, California, where they had set up shop with a total $538 in capital. Capital. They determined the order of their names in the company by a coin toss. And moving on from oscillators, the first of which they sold to Disney for the movie Fantasia. How is that for history? The Stanford graduates built one of the world's largest electronic companies that survives to this day. So, Mark, that happened this week in history. And now back to you. It all began. So many great things have began begun in garages. Um, and Hewlett Packard we would literally not be where we are today without those two gentlemen. Uh, later Packard bell became another company, uh, as David Packard continued on to be the genius that he, that he was. Uh, I think, uh, Apple bought that garage. If I remember correctly, Steve jobs and Steve Wozniak bought that garage. Um, history all over the place there. 1947, not that long ago. Um, the world changed in dramatic ways. What are we going to see in the next 60 years? next 70 years what what i can't even imagine what's in the garage right now that's going to change the world some sort of 
crystal storage device, some sort of quantum computing, as Miles mentioned earlier, um, a new power supply that will will be clean and and nearly infinite. Uh, these things are as much fantasy today as the iPhone was in 1947. Yeah. If I knew, I'd be buying into it, you know. <laughs> I'd be investing yeah. in it now. Yeah, if I could find the hot tub time machine, you know, I'd come back and tell you. But Google. Yeah. <laughs> Motley Rue. Yeah, man, I would love to, uh, to go back in time and, and give Sergey and Larry... Um, you know, a thousand bucks. So here, just give me one percent of your company. That'd be awesome. Go back and introduce Steve Jobs and uh, <laughs> Wise. Say, hey guys, why don't y'all get together and do something? Here's some money to get started. Yeah, we'll see. People who uh, were early in the Apple thing, Steve screwed them pretty regularly. Uh, oh, that's true. Waz was very generous. Uh, Jobs, not so much. Yeah, but, you know, there were stories of when Apple was super hard up for money, um, like carpenters and stuff, they would pay with shares of the company. Right. So, uh, you know, if you held on to those shares, you know, for 30 or 40 years, you'd, you'd be set now. You know, buy, buy, buy into the Amazon IPO, and, I mean, you'd be set for life. Indeed, indeed. Or you don't even have to go that far. Just Dunkin' Donuts, you know. Buy a, buy a thousand Bitcoins for a dollar each. Oh, I, I, yeah. Now you're getting personal. Now you're getting personal. Uh, as I watch Bitcoin soar up past 4,000, and I think about those days when I literally said that thing. I think I'll buy 1,000 Bitcoin, and I just didn't. Why? Because it was too difficult back then. You know, the you, first transaction in Bitcoin was somebody buying a pizza. No, right. two, sorry, two pizzas, and they did it with 10,000 Bitcoin sent to them for two uh now what sort of papa john's pizzas yeah oh today, my gosh what an what, expensive pizza exactly. <laughs> Ten thousand. Oh oh my gosh what is that uh 10 four, million, four million? No, 40 million yeah yeah if that's it <laughs> 20 million dollars per pizza it better be that, it man better be supreme that, pizza, and extra that pizza good <laughs> yeah but at the time that's the thing about currencies value for value at the time that's what they were worth um, you can't always look ahead. Yeah. Uh, now, Seth, what? Uh, wait, before I uh, before I do that, I will say uh, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can tell me I'm wrong. I told Greg he was wrong. Um, now you can tell me I'm wrong. Go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button, answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA. For example, what art of clo- article of clothing do you wear on your hands? Uh, those those are just some examples of the CAPTCHA questions. Real, real brain teasers there. Um, and... Uh, then fill out the form and let us know what you think. Uh, we've we've done a lot of, of pontificating in this show, and I bet there's somebody out there that thinks we're completely off base on at least one or two of those things. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Um, to be honest with you, those of you that agree with us, it, it's always nice to be validated, but it's much more interesting to hear from those who disagree with us, particularly you know uh, uh, smart people who disagree with us. If you can disagree with us in an intelligent way, you'll get you'll get to the head of the line in the the feedback queue. So let us know what you think. Elementop.com. Use the contact button us button, uh, or you can uh, email geekrant at elementop.com, or you can call five five nine I am Opie, lest you uh, fear that I am uh, reading your words in a tone of derision. You can read your words yourself. 
uh, at 559-IAM-OPIC. Leave us a voicemail, and we'll play it there on the air. So now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity? That's making you seem like a better hiring option. Okay, Mark, well, you put me under the clock here because it's almost the 8 o'clock cutoff, so I'm going to talk oh, fast no. and say go to humanbenchmark.com, and there you can test and see how well you stack up to the rest of the human race in such things as number memory, reaction time, verbal memory, and visual memory. You can sign in or just do it as a guess. Find out how well you stack up to the rest of the world, humanbenchmark.com. Back to you, Mark. <laughs> so that's essentially what uh, IQ is, right? It's measuring your tasks against... Uh, a uh, standardized group of people doing the same tasks. Um, interesting. And these are all about, uh, three of them are memory and one of them is reflexes. So I don't think that they're, they don't, well, they won't say a whole lot about you as a human being, but uh, those are the things that it's easy to, to quantize on, on a software page. Cool. Especially I, I for free. Some time. Yeah, I could definitely spend some time wasting. If I click on the human benchmark, does it tell me what the average is? when you go on each one like for number memory the average is like seven numbers at once okay cool well and that makes sense because the uh yeah i learned in my psychology that the average person can remember uh uh, five plus or minus two chunks of data at a time that's why when we take a phone number that's nine digits we almost always chunk them down so it's uh you know 903-451-3789 so we chunk down those last two into two numbers instead of four numbers because if we if we did all of them we're at the and by the way that's not my number don't call that number I just made that number up uh, don't call that number eight six seven five three zero nine you know we 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 tend to uh, we tend to chunk things down because seven is about the maximum a person can do so that passes the sniff test for me yeah <laughs> poor Seth he's afraid to say anything because the the eight o'clock cutoff is coming. Uh, <laughs> guys as always interesting show um the uh the uh pendulum has begun to swung back swing back the other day it's uh, direction it's now 79 degrees in my attic so uh, whew, uh the night has fallen winter is coming um i feel better uh but anyway thanks for hanging out this was this was a i like these kind of shows where we don't have anything to talk about and yet we have great discussions and uh, I couldn't do this uh, without guys to have great discussions with. You're smart, you're articulate, um, and doggone it, people like you. So uh, uh, throw Especially some love me. to these guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> throw some love to these guys. You know, the way you can do that is go to patreon.com and throw money. And, and when the money exceeds uh, my expenses, I give it to them. That's how that works. Um, uh, so far, they <laughs> Miles, have I ever sent you any money? Uh, not as such. Yeah. So, uh, during his tenure of the show, that equation has never come true. Um, <laughs> Seth used to make a pretty good uh, bit of money back when we had sponsors. Uh, uh, at least it was enough that he could uh, buy a couple of toys. But, uh, yep. yeah. Throw money at me, people. Throw money at them. Um, and, in fact, you could earmark it. Maybe. I don't even know. I'm making this up. Uh, you could email me and say, I just donated a dollar a month. Uh, or a dollar a show and i want that whole dollar to go to seth i'll honor that request you can do that so uh throw money at these guys because they're they're rarer than you think they are uh so with that i will say goodbye uh that's it for this episode of the geek rant remember pay for what you like